it's a great symbol of, uh, uh, of celebration of this game, and uh, we're looking forward to someone have it donning it on Sunday afternoon. Well, hello there. Welcome to the latest episode of the Masters Commute from the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway Golf. As you're listening to this, it is Thursday morning. It is the first round of the 2023 Masters Tournament, the 87th in total. Not going to lie, I don't remember them all, but I'm told that the early ones were particularly good, especially if your name is Horton Smith. Anyway, Michael McEwen here. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm pretty sure you're beside yourself with excitement. I know I am, and I know the guy that's sitting right next to me is very, very much in that bracket. From Sky Sports, Jamie Weir. I thought, I thought, you, were, I thought you were about to say you're beside yourself with excitement because Jamie Weir is my guest today. There's a little bit of that as well, a yeah. little bit of that. How are we doing? I'm very well, thank you. More to the point, we, how are you? Should we tell our listeners what we're currently enjoying here? I think we ought to. It's only fair. Listen, Jamie, you know it's this. It's been a long, hard day. It's been a hot day. <laughs> So we're currently into enjoying cheers, slosher. cheers with with plastic glasses. Two cold crow's nests. Do you know what kind of beer that is? Uh, like an IPA or something. It's nice. Whatever. I think it is. it's Blue Moon. Is it? Yeah, I, I believe love so. Blue Moon. But I mean, the only thing that's missing from that chunk of orange. Spot on. Oh. This, this is going to be a good show, Jamie. I can tell already. <sighs> but we are. Listen, we're an honest podcast. We always have been. We're enjoying a cold beer at the end of what has been a very long build-up yeah. to the Masters. Particularly for you, Jamie, this is your first time out here at Augusta. Tell me, I know how it was for me in 2019. Yeah. How's it been for you? I've just been like a kid at Christmas. I mean, <laughs> everywhere I've been going, I've just been giddy with excitement. Just seeing it in the flesh for the first time. And you hear all the stories about, oh, you've got no idea until you see it in the flesh. Just how, how hilly and undulating yeah. it is. And just how, how beautiful the azaleas and the dogwoods are. But, I mean, it really is the case. And... Yesterday afternoon in the setting sun, I just walked the entire back nine or second nine in case any uh, green jackets are listening. And um, it was just a treat. I mean, idyllic uh, to see all those holes up close. And I just can't wait for it to get started. Now, as you said, it's been a long build up. It's not just been this week. It feels like it's been an eight month build up since the 150th Open. It's such a long wait now with golf's new calendar from the final major of the year until the first major of the next year. So we're nearly there. We're almost at the point where Jack and Gary and Tom are going to get us underway and then the 87th Masters. So tell all me, go. are you going to set an alarm and be up in time for that? I am indeed. I'm going Quite to be up right. about three hours before that. I'm going to be at the course for about half past five tomorrow morning. In a working capacity? In or, a working capacity, yeah. you know me. Yeah, exactly. You know you never stop. Never stop. You never Thank st- you. Tell me about it. My bosses are listening to this. Did you hear that? I never stop. <laughs> Hardest working man in show business. You listening, Jason? Yeah, you yeah, listening? yeah exactly. <laughs> Where did you go? He says whilst f- drinking a crow's nest. C- correct, <laughs> yes. It's heavily watered down. Don't worry. It's American beer after all. Where did you go first when you got here, Jamie? What was the one thing that you, you singled out as, I must see this immediately? Well, the first place I went wasn't a place that I'd singled out as must see, but I, when we did our first couple of TV hits, I headed out and followed... I think it was Rory, Tiger, Tom Kim, Freddie Couples for a few holes and just walked with them down 15, 16, 17. Um, so that was the first bit I saw. But as I said, yesterday evening, we just sort of said, we'd finished our work for the day. Let's just go out and walk the entire back nine. And that was the real sort of hairs standing on end moment for me. Just mm-hmm. seeing Amen Corner, seeing 12, seeing that new 13th tee box, seeing the azaleas everywhere, seeing Ray's Creek for the first time, seeing what that second shot into 13 looks like, how just how hanging that lie is going to be for their second shot this week. 
that was pretty, you know, for somebody who's been a complete golf nerd since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, that was amazing. Yeah, it's so special, isn't it? Mm. It's like that first thing you see, it's very hard to take it in. It's, I compared it in the past to when I first saw the Statue of Liberty when I went to New York for the first time. Yeah. I'd grown up as a little kid, I'd seen loads of pictures of the statue and it was in the front cover of books and all that sort of stuff. And then I was standing there on the boat right in front of it, looking at it, and I almost couldn't process it. Right. It's like, you know, you know you're looking at it, but you're thinking, is this real life? It, yeah. And Augusta, Amen Corner in particular, has that same effect on you, doesn't it? Yeah. And do you know what the other thing as well about here is, which you wouldn't appreciate in television? Because, of course, you see the TV and you see a few aerial shots and you see Butler Cabin and you see the clubhouse and it all looks incredible. And, and you see those images thousands and thousands of times. But what you don't see in the telly is everything behind the mm -hmm. scenes. And we're in, currently sitting in the press building, which is like well it's a building for a start they're usually tense. it's like a mansion this beautiful <laughs> white mansion my production manager this week is in the, the content building which again is this huge white sprawling mansion which you know only gets used for one week of the year and everywhere behind the scenes that you don't see in telly there is not a blade of grass at a place there's not a pine needle sitting on a pathway <laughs> it's just it is just unbelievable it's heaven on earth you can probably tell if you look at me just now, obviously listeners, you can't see this, but I, I do look like Augusta National Shop has vomited all over me. It happens every year. I show up and for whatever reason, my, my bank card leads me by the hand right. down to the shop and yeah, things happen. I've been restrained. Have you really? Well, I set myself a, a limit, a budget of $300. Never going to happen. Well, I've spent 220 so far. <laughs> There's still I, a lot of the week to go. I just want to pop in and buy one last t-shirt, which is tape up 250 So if I can leave under budget for the week, I'm actually quite happy with myself. Do you think you'll manage? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's literally I everything mean, you in could, there, isn't uh, there? I mean, you could go in there and, you know, Big Johnny Morgan. Oh, bumped, yeah. Bumped into Big Johnny here Bristol's earlier. finest. Bristol's finest. He's dropped three and a half grand. No way. But me, but me, honestly, most, most of them are things for people back home, so they're going to re reimburse me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 I've heard that one before. <laughs> Let's search for his bag and see like a $500 cashmere jump with the <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Um, so it is very easy to go crazy in that shop. And again, so there's easy. another thing, like to go back to my previous point, this in enormous shop which apparently has got two floors worth mm -hmm. of stock underneath it. I mean, it's just, it's it's someplace, this, it really is. Again, the, the average patron won't get to see this, but when we get taken from the media centre down to the golf course, we get a uh, jump in the back of a buggy and it shuttles us down. So you actually get to drive round behind the shop mm. and you can see the trucks emptying out merch all day long. So it's just this constant cycle of merch comes in, people buy it, off it goes. I'd love to know in, what people that shop buy takes on a daily basis. It's well over a million dollars, I'd say. It has to be. Yeah. It has to be scary amounts of money. So let's talk about the actual tournament. About golf. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe we should. Because um, we're actually, funnily enough, coming up towards the break. This has gone very quickly. But I want to ask you first of all in fact, let's leave that for the second part i want to ask you about who your your picks are for this week who you're most excited about and what you think the biggest storyline is going to be over the next couple of days i mean it's really going to surprise listeners with, uh, when i say who my my pick and the one I, the player i want to win is going to be and what i think would be the biggest storyline is a certain fellow countryman of mine becoming only the sixth man to complete the career grand slam and i really feel and it feels like we say this every single year but i really think rory is as best placed as he ever has been to do that i'm no psychologist 
uh, which well, might surprise you. Well, job, to be fair. Um, but he's doing just, a good job of it. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> but just looking at his body language this week, mm-hmm. he seems so at ease with himself, so comfortable with his game at the moment, in a really good headspace, to use that sort of very American term. And it's just a case of not getting in his own way. And he said that on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. And just being patient, realising it's 72 holes, it's a not factor on, as he says, ball beautifully. But he is so excited. He's giddy with excitement. And he's got a late tea time on day one. And I don't know whether that's a good thing to have that just excitement bursting from every pore before you finally get in the tea box at, is it 1.48 in the mm-hmm. afternoon for Rory. But I also think he's got the better side of the draw. Okay. The forecast looks as if the thunderstorms are going to be pretty nasty on Friday afternoon. So he should hopefully have completed 36 holes on Thursday and Friday, whereas those guys who have the early, late split, they might be coming back on Saturday morning. Oh, by the way, Saturday is pretty goals. horrific oh, geez, oh, as well. Thank God for Sobier. Yeah, exactly. So I think he's got the best split. I think he's playing well. I think he's putting well. I think he's driving well. This is surely the year, don't you think? I do agree. I And what you say is absolutely spot on. But I would also say it's very easy to say. Mm. And doing it's a whole other thing. You know Rory pretty well. I mean, is he the sort of guy that you mentioned his late tea time? Will he be watching the TV? And if he sees somebody go in a tear early doors and, you know, get it to four or five under before he's even started, is that the sort of thing that you think would affect him? No, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much he'll be watching tomorrow morning. He's he, he just... He's very happy just spending time with Poppy and Eric yeah. these days, and and not really focusing too much on that. I, I think what he's going to what he's got much better at, and Bob Bertella's had a big part in this, is not necessarily watching it, thinking, "Oh God, somebody's four four under through mm. through." I'm going to have to just like go pedal to the metal from from the word go. I think he's much better now at just realizing that. You can't win it on day one, but you mm. can definitely lose it on day one. Yeah. And and he has lost it on day yes. one in the last few years. So if he can just get off to a sensible start, target those par fives, target the couple of short par fours that you know his his long game gives him a real advantage on. He's putting beautifully at the moment, rolling a couple of ten footers. I mean, it sounds very easy when I describe <laughs> it, doesn't it? You know, if he can be within you know, re- within touching distance of the leaders. By what the is of touching one. distance? What do you think? Well, I mean, acceptable? the stats at, at the Masters compared to any other major championship show you that is only one player outside the top 10 at the end of day one has won in the last 20 years something or something like, like that. that. Yeah. I mean, it's something pretty ridiculous. So if you shoot a 76 in day one, you're, you're really behind the eight ball. But I just can't see how he's going to do that. I think he's in, he's in such control of his game at the moment. What would it mean back home for your fellow countrymen to see Rory? I mean, you've seen him win majors, but this is different. I mean, this is legitimate history. If he was to do it, how would that be received? I mean, it's just sporting immortality, isn't it? And, you know, we're we're very blessed. We're from a tiny wee country, but we've had some titans in terms of sport, likes of George Best, Mm. Sir Anthony McCoy. I know it's a niche sport, but, you know, was the greatest at his sport. And now Rory, you know, sits alongside and, and will probably surpass those as just... I can't really do justice to just how proud we are in Northern Ireland of Rory. Mm-hmm. And the way... He, it's not just his success on the course, but it's the way he's carried himself off the course. He's such a likeable guy. He speaks so eloquently. He is so giving with his time. Um, he's thoughtful. He is a deep thinker. I think he's very sort of 
socially aware, mm-hmm. well-read, and just, I mean, I don't have a bad word to say about him. Um, Sounds like it. <laughs> you know, I just, I love, I love the guy, yeah. and, and nothing yeah. would give me greater pleasure than to see him slipping into that green jacket on Sunday evening. Is that your heart talking, or is that your head? I think it's a bit of both this time around. And in the past, it, it has been my kind of heart talking, but this time, I really do have a feeling that, you know, this is as good a chance as he's ever had. Who do you see as the biggest threat to him? Scotty Scheffler. Really? Yeah, I have no hesitation in saying that at all. I just think he's got work in his hands as well. I mean, it's so hard to defend the title around here. Yeah, That's so the only three guys have ever done it. Yeah, I know, and three pretty good guys as yeah. well. And you're talking Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo, Tiger Woods. That's pretty elite company he'd be joining. But there's a reason it hasn't been done very often, and that's because it's a huge mental burden more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Scotty Shepherd doesn't strike me as somebody that really buckles under mental burdens. He seems a pretty laid-back, easygoing happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And, you know, it was interesting. He spoke last year after the Masters about how he was a bag of nerves on the Sunday morning, even though he had, what, a five-shot lead yeah. to take into the final round. But he just... Didn't went, look it. He didn't look it. And whether it's, you know, having the calm voice of reason, Ted Scott mm-hmm. in your bag, or whatever it is, his game is just... Uh, there's no flaws in his game at all. He's playing well at the moment. <sighs> He's going to be a really tough man to beat. But he can, like any golfer in the world, just have these inexplicable little off moments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's, I think, the, the the big, big threat for for the entire field. And what is incredible is, you know, we talk about golf's big three at the moment. John Ram I know. is kind of coming into the Masters under the radar, which seems Yeah, we spoke about this, Bryce and I, on, on the, the full preview episode last week. It's like he's lost a little bit of momentum, which... Feels like a remarkable thing to say about a guy that started the year winning at the clip that he was winning. It looked for a point that he just, you know, couldn't miss. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. I know. How long ago was Bay Hill? Four weeks ago? Four weeks, yeah. yeah. And he opened Bay Hill with a 64 and you're just like, here we go again. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And since then, then he just kind of hit a brick wall at Bay Hill. And he obviously had a bit of illness issues at the players. Mm-hmm. And he bowed out in the group stage at the world match play. And... All mitigating circumstances as well, though, isn't right. there? I mean, yeah. you know, illness, you can't account for that. Nope. Match play, not normal golf. You can play great stuff and still be beaten. True. Stevie Gallagher will tell you all about that from Phil Mickelson and the yeah, Ryder Cup right. at Glen Eagles. So, yeah, there are there circumstances. Are. And just, you know, sometimes that coming in the, under the radar thing can work in your favour as mm-hmm. well. So, um, A remarkable thing to say about a guy that's world number two right now coming in under the radar. Well, yeah, having exactly. won, what, twice, three times already yeah, this yeah. season? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, world number three, I think he is, but yeah, the point stands. Three, yes. Um, and you know, the interesting thing I spoke to him yesterday is he feels as if, for somebody who has achieved so much in the game and is always there or thereabouts, it frustrates me that he's never contended at the back nine on Sunday at Augusta. For all the talent he has, he's always just been a bit too far back as he makes the turn on the Sunday. So he's going to be tough as well. But, sure you know, it's, it's really hard to look past the big three. It really, I, really is. I totally agree. Four top tens for John Ram in, te- in six Masters appearances. That's somewhat scary. Anyway, more to come from me and Jamie right after this. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new Paradigm in performance from Callaway. 
Welcome back, part two of today's Masters Commute in association with Callaway Golf. Michael McEwen here at Augusta National with Jamie Weir from Sky Sports. Jamie, big talking point today was Fred Ridley's press conference. A couple of lines came out of it. Let's deal with them both. The first one, Greg Norman and his lack of invite, for right. lack of a better way of putting it, persona non grata, whatever you want to call it. Here is what Fred Ridley had to say about why the Live Golf CEO and Commissioner is not here this week. Uh, we did not extend an invitation uh, to Mr. Norman. Um, the, 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 the primary issue and the driver there is that um, I want the focus this week to be on, on the Masters competition, on the great players that, uh, that are participating, the greatest players in the world, which by our decision in December, we ensured that we were going to honor and be consistent with our invitation criteria. I would also add that in the last 10 years, uh, Greg Norman has only been here twice, and I believe one of those was as a uh, commentator for Sirius Radio. Uh, but it, it really was, was, was to uh, keep the focus on the competition. Yeah, so pretty forthright stuff there mm. from Fred Ridley. You were in the same press conference as I, Jamie. What did you make of how he handled Greg Norman and the, the, the live curveball, if you will? First thing I'd say is, you know, when I heard Greg Norman's quotes a couple of days ago saying it's so petty that I haven't been invited, I kind of thought, well, why would you be invited? You're not a past Masters champion. And then somebody brought up the point today that, well, but the CEOs of the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour have been invited. Why wouldn't you invite the commissioner of the Live Tour? And that's maybe a fair point. Fred Ridley made the point that he doesn't want Greg Norman to essentially be a sideshow mm -hmm. to... The Similar first major of the year. last year. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's a fair point. I, every time I hear Fred, Lee, Fred Ridley speak, I'm increasingly impressed by him. I think he's a real sort of forward thinking and um, progressive chairman of Augusta National. He's got some some strong ideas. Him, I think he's very principled in a lot of his, his values. And, you know, he went on to say in that press conference how. You know, these guys, he spoke back in December and, and again was, was very forthright, right, with his opinions and sort of said, in his opinion, these guys should leave the game in a better condition than they found it. Mm -hmm. And essentially, he doesn't feel as if they are doing that. And he doesn't shy away from saying that, which, you know... Is that a golfer's responsibility? I mean, you know, in the same way as the PGA Tour could say it's not their job to grow the game. And some people have levelled that accusation at them. Is it, a, is it up to the Rorys and the Tigers and the John Rams and the Max Homers? And I don't blah, necessarily, blah, blah, necessarily to, think it's up to them, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of guys do feel that way. And I think, you know, the guys who are conscious of the history of the game and the real students of the game, the likes of Rory, John Ram, Justin Thomas, do feel as if they have a bit of a responsibility to do that. And I think other guys don't. And... You know, I think what Fred Ridley was saying earlier on about the legacy that the likes of Nicholas and Palmer and Player and Ballesteros and Woods have left behind have improved the game, enriched the game, you know, and he feels as if these guys aren't necessarily going down that same path. I, I thought that part was interesting, certainly from yeah. my point of view. I wonder when you, you look back, we sort of, I guess it's, it's very easy to romanticise Arnold Palmer and everything he achieved in the game and be very grateful for it. But I wonder to what extent when he was at his absolute peak, he was thinking about, you know, looking after the game and preserving its its best interest. Because let's face it, he was the first golfer to 
really be a, a transcendent figure, the, the guy who right. transcended into other sports and indeed showbiz. Was he worried about I don't know if any, golf at that time or was he just I don't know if many golfers are that conscious when they're in their pomp of, mm. of that, but I think they will all have a reflective period where they realize this game has given me so much. It's given me so many opportunities. It's given me this incredible life that I've been able to travel the world, playing the game I love, building these friendships around the planet. And I want other people who are following in my wake to have those same opportunities yep. and to, you know, <laughs> they all cliche, to grow the game, to, you know, to to bring it to a wider audience and to grow its popularity. I think is something that in the back of their heads, a lot of golfers are aware of and I think and I touched upon it earlier Rory I think is a deep thinker and you know does see the sort of global picture and is is aware of social issues and I I think he's certainly somebody that realizes that the platform he has in the game he can use to bring golf to a new audience and to to leave the game in a better place than he found it Mm -hmm, absolutely the other big talking point from Fred Ridley's press conference was the subject of distance right we were all very interested, I think, as soon as the RNA and USG announced their proposed rollback, I think we all put a little circle in the diary around this state thinking, mm. well, what's Ridley going to say? Because ultimately, what Augusta National says, rightly or wrongly, carries a lot of sway in Massively. decision making. And it, I think there was a feeling among some people, and I would probably include myself in this to some degree, that whichever way he went today, yeah. it'll probably dictate how the proposal goes, whether it goes, it actually happens, or whether it gets revisited and works on yeah. again. So he was slightly coy, I thought, you know, just saying, we'll, we, we, we like the proposals, we're going to, you know, look at the consultation process and respect we'll, we'll the consultation. Respectful yeah. about it, yeah. But he did essentially say, look, we have always backed the governing bodies of the game, and that's, I think, where they will ultimately fall. And he and Fred Ridley has repeatedly said in the past that something needs to be done about mm-hmm. distance. So I think ultimately he is probably in the same camp as the USGA and the RNA, and he just needs to be a little bit coy with what he's saying at the moment because, as you say, his voice, although he's not one of the the Augusta National, not one of the governing bodies of the game, that what they, they say kind of carries yeah. a lot of clout, and he he knows that. And yeah, I I took sort of reading between the lines that he will he will back the USGA and the RNA. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the PGA America will fall into line as well. Yeah, so they've been slightly funny about it as well, saying, you know, they, they're they not fully on board yet. That was like their original statement, mm-hmm. the PGA of America, when the, the announcement first came out. Do you think that now, on reflection, if they're the only major, as it looks like they might be, that's not going to fully back this this plan, do you think they might reverse suit in a month's time? I think there'll be enough pressure from Fred Ridley, Martin Slumbers, and Mike Wan that Seth Wall eventually <laughs> toe the line. Well, is what I believe. Seth. Yeah, I kind of do feel that. But look, the other thing to say is this is two years off, and yeah. a, a lot can change. And the equipment manufacturers are clearly they've slightly got their nose out of joint at the moment. There's a few high-profile players who have very much been of the, this is ridiculous, what are we doing? And then the two players in the game whose voice carries the most weight, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, are very much in the governing bodies camp. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a little bit like the whole Live PGA Tour thing, they'll be 
uh, you know, whining back and forth. And this is why I think, well, I think your opinion's nonsense. This is why I think, and it, eventually it'll all come out in the wash and we'll probably end up two years from now with players hitting the, f- the ball five yards less far than they well, do now. Yes. And really, at the end of all that, has it been worth it? I don't know. We'll, we will see. But you're right. There's just constant division, constant rancor. Thank God for the par three contest. Well, yeah. The, the, I mean, and the only thing I would add as well is that Augusta National are in a slightly different boat to anybody else in the world in that they have the deepest pockets mm-hmm. and can just keep growing the course. Now, let's just let's just buy another 15 acres of land and move that tee box back <laughs> another 35 <laughs> yards, whereas that's not necessarily an option available to all. And, and at the same time, we're eight months out from an open championship around the old course where it wasn't torn to shreds. was not. I mean, the old course was baked firm last summer. And they were driving the ball enormous distances because that course is so well bunkered, so cleverly bunkered, because pins can be placed in such clever positions. It's still held up. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay, 20 under is a big final. Was it 20 under? Yeah, I think Give it was. Take, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's still a, a big win or a low winning score, but it's not like they were going around 45 no. under par. Tell me who shot 59. I didn't see a single yeah. soul even get close. The Par 3 contest, Jamie, this is your first experience of yeah. it in person. Now, I tweeted this earlier that it actually feels like this is the perfect time to have a Par 3 contest because of all the division and the yeah. the, the general he said, she said, and yes. the, the nastiness, if you like, that golf's had to endure over the last little while. It'd be very easy, I know I've done this in the past, to sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, for God's sake, another kid mm. that's two foot tall wearing a white boiler suit. <laughs> There's something really oh, charming about it. I was, I was about to say, you're a miserable old bugger right now. It's, it's happening. But, yeah, you know, it's happening. I, I love it. I mean, I just think there's something about little kids in boiler suits. They're just so <laughs> cute, aren't they? They are, yeah. And just to see little Iris Laurie toddling about and little Poppy McElroy alongside her, you know, it was just, it was lovely this afternoon. It was played in glorious sunshine. Patrons, you know, horseshoeing every single green. And all these little traditions at the Masters, which obviously I'm experiencing for the very first time, I just I, I just lap up every single one of them. And I made a real point if I wanted to get out there and see the Par 3 contest, and I wasn't disappointed. I thought it's just a perfect way to let your hair down, to just relax, unwind, before the serious business gets underway. And the players, I think, adore it. They and, seem to, don't they? And the kids are just in their element, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, because you're right about the players. I mean, I would imagine that... There's a case we made it's the last thing they want to do yeah. on the eve of a, a major championship, especially one that's, you know, there's been an eight, nine month build up to is go and play in that. You right. know what I mean? And especially put their families on display, which a lot of them, I, I quite understand, they might not be totally comfortable with, but they do seem to really buy in. Yeah, I just think that there's two things I'd say. First of all, for most of these guys, the serious prep has started before this week, yeah. you know. Their game, if your game isn't where it needs to be when you first pull down Magnolia Lane on Monday morning, then you're not off to a great start <laughs> anyway. But then once you do get here, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, there is plenty of time to fine-tune the game, to get to know that course the way you want to. I say get to know the course. For most of these guys, obviously, they've been coming yeah. here year after year. A lot of them will have played practice rounds here last week or the week before or the week after the players or whatever. So, you know, they know the course. They've sharpened up their game. It gets to Wednesday lunchtime. They enjoy a nice little salad on the terrace of the clubhouse. And then they think, "Ah, now let's just relax, get the kids into the boiler suits, 
poodle around the par three course for an hour <laughs> and 15 minutes, pose for a few photos with a smile on your face, enjoy the sunshine, and then off home for an early night and a good night's sleep before the serious business gets underway. I think it's a lovely little curtain raiser. Yeah. To a, Com- completely harmless to. fun. Yes, it's schmaltzy. Yes, it's saccharine. It's schmaltzy and twee, but you know. But why not? Maybe we need a bit of that. I think we do. After the last 12 months, by God, we've earned it. And I should add, that's Tom Hoagie's chances of winning the Masters completely. Yeah, absolutely. Won. He's gone. So we've got any money, Tom Hoagie. Well done. You're just throwing your money away. And you know what? He would have been a great each way bet coming into this week. He's leading the PGA Tour in strokes gained, approach the green. He's a ball striking machine. Isn't he? he? And yeah, so he's only gone and and ruined it. And we need to mention Seamus Parr as well. Go for it. Tell the story. This this was incredible. So he has a hole in one at the eighth. And he, you know, huge cheers and celebrations and fantastic. He walks around to the ninth tee box. Michael Collins, the caddy, interviews him. Hey, Seamus, man, how about that hole-in-one in the eighth? And she says, ah, oh, you know, absolutely fantastic. I, you know, I didn't take it. Go ahead, take it away. Hits his tee shot in the ninth. Back-to-back hole-in-ones. <laughs> Unreal. Incredible. Unreal. Now, this is the funny thing. I was looking at that and I've gone, well, that's history. That's never happened before. It's happened twice before there's been back to back colon ones. Wow. So there you go. Claude Harmon, apparently not. Butch's Butch's dad. No, yes, yeah, exactly. Not Butch's son. That's the other Claude Harmon. Yeah. But yeah, apparently he's and, the and first Butch to do. obviously is Claude Harmon as well. Should we just oh, point God, that out? Yeah. yeah. Claude's the original Claude Harmon, nineteen forty seven Masters Champion. There you go. He so. did it. And who's the other? I forget now. Ah, I've the spot. Yeah, totally ruined it now. Yeah. But yeah, so Seamus, he's, he's probably walking around right now in the clubhouse thinking, I've just done something that nobody else has ever done, but I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Well, Still, is it bad news? Claude Harmon went on to win a green jacket, so maybe Seamus Parr. Good thinking. You never know. Good thinking. Amazing that after having two holes in one and I'm looking at the scoreboard... He's not there. He's not there. So because I, I think he must think have. I think, I, well, like. He maybe scooped up on a hole and he's done as, as no score or something. But um, yeah, Tom Hoagie six under par for his nine holes. Baba and Kurt Kisiyama both five under. Yeah, some nice scoring out there this afternoon, and it was it was lovely. It was beautiful. Sun splitting the trees, thirty five degrees. It ain't gonna be like that come the tournament. Oh, it's certainly not. It's certainly not. Look, before you go, I need to ask you as a first timer. You must have tried, well, you're trying the crow's nest mm. lager just now, which is going down very nicely. You must have tried the other food for which it's famous. Uh, what has been the highlight uh, in a culinary sense of Augusta? Well, so I've far? still not had a pimento cheese sandwich. And I've heard mixed reports on what they're like. I can't tell you anything because I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, right. So I wouldn't okay. um, I'm told they taste like feet. Right. Okay. Uh, what else? I mean, the re- again, Look, I love the Open Championship. Can I just say that as a of precursor course, yeah. if anyone from the RNA is listening? They know that I love the Something Open. bad's about to follow. But <laughs> yep, there it is. when we have our breakfasts and our lunches at the Open, we're in some huge big marquee. You queue up, you get something slopped onto your plate. It's still very tasty, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But here, you go into a re- table for four, please. You mm-hmm. go into a restaurant, you sit down, you're handed a menu. The food is unbelievable. It's like Michelin star food. Mm-hmm. What would you like to drink, sir? Waited on hand and foot. Made, you're treated like royalty. Yeah. And if you're not in this, in the you know, in the formal sit-down restaurant in the media building, then there's another place around the corner which is fully stocked with sandwiches, donuts, chocolate, Good old crisps. Crab and go. Oh, and it's just. I mean, I'm going to leave this week a stone heavier than arrived. <laughs> so, seventeen stone as opposed to sixteen stone. But um, listen, it's I, every single thing. As I said, I'm just soaking up like a sponge because it is such a special experience being mm. here and 
you know, has surpassed all my expectations. But that's great to hear. And look, for your sake and indeed mine, I hope that you get the outcome that you're you're hoping for this week. Wouldn't it be great to see Rory in a green jacket? We're not going to get some Scottish Masters champion, but we might get a Celtic one at least. That would be good. Yeah. Well, you never know. Sandy Lyle Sandy might do the business. <laughs> we should just mention, I'm sure you mentioned the previous podcast this week, yeah. but Sandy, go, yeah. Sandy's last Masters. I know. And, I know. Uh, and Larry Mises as well. And of course, yep. they had that moment together in 88 when Larry Mises would have put the jacket on Sandy. So, yeah, no, two great past champions who I'm sure will be back for champions dinners in years to come. I'm sure they'll be there for Rory's champions dinner 12 months from now. <laughs> but um, but I'm sure they'll get an emotional farewell. What would he serve, Rory? What's a Northern Irish Somebody delicacy? Somebody asked me this earlier. And I, do you know, maybe I've lived out of the country so long now that I can't even... I don't think we've got any particular delicacies. Do you know what? Tato cheese and onion crisps. Can you serve that as a course at... Oh, they'll find a way. Yeah. They'll find a way, I'm sure. Look, Jamie, I'm absolutely delighted to see you here. I'm glad that it's living up to expectations and then some. All that remains to say to you and to everybody who is tuning in, because you won't hear from me now again until it starts, enjoy the Masters. It's going to be very, very special indeed. Please keep across bunker.co.uk over the, the next few days for all the latest news as it happens. We'll be on social media throughout as well. And there are more Masters Commute podcasts coming up each and every day right through until the bitter end, which might be Monday at this rate. Don't. I've already, I've already prepared my wife for that and it did not go down well. Oh dear. We'll leave that at that. Jamie, thank you very much thank you. for your time. Come on, Rory. <laughs> thank you to you for listening and to Callaway for the continued support as well. We'll be back again this time tomorrow. Until then, bye bye for now. <laughs>